Thank you, worship team. Thank y'all so much for sharing your praises. I'm a little overwhelmed at this moment, just that he's beautiful and he's mighty to save. And I think he's mighty to heal the sick, and he's mighty to take the orphans and put them in a home thousands of miles away, and he's mighty to bring hope and joy into grief and loss. And that's a mighty God, and he cares about our hearts, and he cares about our emotions, and he gives us his word because he cares about us. A mighty, beautiful God cares. I'm in awe. I hope you are too. Thanks for being here today. Thank you for the opportunity to study God's word with you. My name is Amy Foster. I'm a part of your women's ministry staff and part of your teaching team here. It's just a pleasure to study God's word. I love to study the Bible. I love to do it with you. I love to do it at home by myself. Uh, One of the other things I love to do, I love to read old classical literature. My favorite author is Jane Austen. Any Jane Austen fans out there? Yay! I love it. I hope you love the books more than the movies, but the movies are good too. Uh, My all-time favorite Jane Austen novel is called Sense and Sensibility, and it's the story of two sisters. And the sisters love each other dearly, and they share many things in common, but the way the sisters handle their emotions, they are polar opposites. So let me tell you a little bit about this story. Um, What I really love about it at its core, it's a story of emotional control and the way we handle our emotions differently. But we see the beautiful young Marianne. She's the younger, impulsive sister. She's following a wildly popular romantic movement of the day that life is all about passionate emotions and that if anything is meaningful and real, it's full of passionate emotions, so they should all be felt, they should all be expressed, and they should all be acted upon. That's younger sister Marianne. Older, more prudent sister, Eleanor, takes a different approach. She is the practical one. She believes that emotions can be felt, but what should guide your life is practical, smart, wise decision-making. So they handle their emotions in very different ways. Um, Eleanor uh, chooses to keep her emotions very private and hidden and to be driven by practicality, and her sister is carried by the whims of her emotions. As the drama unfolds, uh, we quickly see the error in both. Halfway through the novel, we find both sisters heartbroken, jilted, and miserably sad. Uh, Marianne has been tempted and lured off into this suspect relationship um, with a questionable character. She's allowed her emotions to be laid out for everyone to see and to um, totally override her common sense. So she finds herself ultimately jilted. She has a damaged reputation and she has a broken heart. But the shocking thing is Eleanor also finds herself with a broken heart. Um, Hers is from a a different source. Eleanor has had this fervent love that she's never expressed and she's never acted upon. She's simply done the right thing and let practical decisions guide her. So we see they're both in the same place, even though one has chosen a life of total sense, total following their emotions. The other has chosen a life of total sensibility, all practical self-control. And neither of those processes work for them. We quickly see the art of living well, or the art of living wisely, is somewhere in that balance between sense and sensibility. I thought of this so often as I studied what the Proverbs have to say about emotions. We tend to think of the Proverbs as these truthful, direct little nuggets of right and wrong, wisdom and folly, always putting things in crisply defined categories.
words, and oftentimes they are, and Proverbs is written to help us put things in categories, and it's written to help us have um, a discerning life, a prudent life. But that doesn't always mean a life of strict sensibility. When you look at the Proverbs teaching on emotions, you find something very different. You don't immediately see clearly defined categories of right and wrong, good emotions, bad emotions. You see much more simply observations about emotions, truths about emotions. You don't see clearly defined instructions on how to manage and how to respond to each and every emotion. And at first, as the teacher studying this, I found that a little frustrating. It seemed it was all over the place, but I quickly realized... In this ambiguity, um, we can see that God doesn't intend for us to live this life of strict sensibility. All practical, only feel these things, repress these other feelings. That's not the kind of life he's created us for. We are much more complex than that as he is. Um, So he has created us to have a dynamic life full of lots of complex emotions. He wants it to be a disciplined and a prudent life also, but he wants it to be abundant and full. He wants it to be a life that's made richer because we have these complex emotions and we have to use discernment and we have to use reason and we have to use wisdom to know how to respond to them. Because our response to these emotions, this is our opportunity to glorify God in the world. And it really does glorify God when they see us applying wisdom to our emotions. Not letting our emotions guide and direct and control everything we do, and not living this life of rigid self-control and practicality, but instead finding a place in the middle, living in that balance between sense and sensibility. That's God's wisdom. And so he tells us in Proverbs that we can use his wisdom to discern what's going on with our emotions, and we can use his wisdom so that we respond to all of our emotions in a way that brings glory and honor to God. So that's what we found when we studied emotions today. I I found a few just uh, generalized truths about emotions as I first started the studying, and then I flipped open my Webster's Dictionary. I always like to know, does the world think of emotions the same way God thinks of emotions? Here's the definition that I found, and it lines up pretty accurately with Proverbs. Emotions are defined as a conscious mental reaction, and they are subjectively experienced as strong feelings and usually directed toward an object. I thought that was so interesting. They're a reaction, they're subjectively experienced, and they're often directed towards something. And that's what we see in Proverbs also. The most important thing I thought about that definition is their reactions. Reactions, that means they're inevitable. As long as we're experiencing life, interacting with people, having experiences, not having experiences that we wanted, we can expect to have these reactions and to have these emotions as long as we're living life. Also, they're subjectively experienced. We know that's true. If we lined up 10 women and gave them the same experience, we might have 10 different emotions. Um, So they're deeply personal and individual in the way we respond to them. And the really important thing is they usually are directed somewhere. They're directed outside of us, and that means even though we experience them personally and individually, they affect the way we interact with our world. I think when we consider our commitment to live in Christian community together, we have to consider the fact that our emotions affect the emotions and the reactions of the people around us. So I want us to start this study with the premise that our belief in God, our trust in his word, it should affect the way we live. 
it should. We should live differently. And if that is true, then our belief in God and our trust in his word should affect the way we respond to our emotions. We should look like women who are handling our emotions with wisdom. So the first thing on your outline is what we've already seen there from Mr. Webster. Um, the first thing we can learn about Proverbs is that, um, from Proverbs is that emotions are inevitable, they are individual, and they are constantly fluctuating. And let's be honest, we're women. We probably didn't need Proverbs or Webster's to tell us that, did we? From Ecclesiastes 3.1, this is written by Solomon, just like Proverbs. There is an appointed time for everything, and there is a time for every event under heaven. Verse 4 says, there's a time to weep and a time to laugh. There's a time to mourn and a time to dance. It's appointed by God that his creation would experience emotions, and they are a vast array of emotions. The spectrum is joyful dancing on one time, grief and sorrow and mourning on the other. He has created us as human, feeling human beings, and so we feel. They are inevitable. Open your Bibles to Proverbs 14 with me. We're all over Proverbs. I'm sorry you're going to be flipping through there. I've put all these verses on your um, verse sheet so you can see them all together. We're going to start with Proverbs 14.10. Each heart knows its own bitterness, and no one else can share its joy. That tells us right away that emotions come from our heart and that they're deeply personal. While we can feel compassion and sympathy and understanding for other people, we can never with certainty know what someone else is feeling. Um, We simply can't because they're private and they're personal, they're subjective, they're um, individually experienced. So we see that emotions come from our heart, that's the source of the emotions, and emotions occur when we react to the things that happen in our lives, and they occur when we react to the things that don't happen in our lives also. From Proverbs 14:13, even in laughter the heart may ache and joy may end in grief. Right there we can see that um, even a joyful emotion like laughter, that can happen while we're experiencing a grief. This says, you know, we might start out uh, feeling one emotion and in an instant it can change to another one. We might feel two set of emotions that are kind of in conflict with each other at the same time, like joy and grief. That tells us emotions are complex They're confusing and they're constantly changing. Think about that with me. How many times have you sat at a funeral and they shared a really funny, joyful memory about the person who's gone? In your grief, you're laughing. You're remembering a happy moment. How many times have you sat in a wedding celebrating this beautiful thing, but maybe your heart is feeling the weight of the loved one who's not there? who's died, Um, you can feel those conflicting emotions at the exact same time. And I think there's the classic one. How many of you parents have sat at a graduation for your children and you feel bitter and you feel sweet at the same time? I think that's probably where that word comes from. Our emotions are so complex, we can be feeling totally opposite emotions at the same time and they can change on a dime. From Proverbs 13, 12, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. So we see our emotions are inconstant. They change. Sometimes they change based on the circumstances. Sometimes they just change based on the whims of our heart. But this shows us you can go along with some unrealized hope and your heart is sick. When that longing is fulfilled, suddenly your heart is rejoicing. Our emotions are circumstantial. 
And then Proverbs 12:25, an anxious heart weighs a man down, but a kind word cheers him up. You can be experiencing this heavy, weighty, difficult emotion, and somebody smiles at you or says something nice, and that has the capacity to suddenly change your emotional state. Again, when we talk about emotions are directed outward, um, living in Christian community together, we have to recognize that um, we impact the emotional health of the people around us. So I looked at all those verses today, and I thought, oh my, they're all over the place, aren't they? Our emotions are constantly changing. They're subjective. We can never know for sure what someone is feeling. Uh, they're always having, uh, happening. But what I thought was so remarkable is none of these proverbs have any kind of a judgment about that. These are simply observations. They don't say your emotions shouldn't be changing. They should be steady. They should be constant. They should only be this way in this circumstance. Um, it never says that in Scripture. This is simply how we're made. So I think we have to start out with this truth that we all have emotions, that they're reactions to everything that happens to us in life, that they're personal, that they can be conflicted, and that they're constantly changing. And the reality is, until we draw our last breath, they just keep coming at us. So we better learn how to respond to them, shouldn't we? They're always going to be there. The other observations we see about emotions when we look at Proverbs is that we see some emotions definitely enhance our lives, and some emotions detract from our lives, don't they? From Proverbs 14.30, A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. And then Proverbs 15:13. And again, these are all on your verse sheet if you don't want to be flipping through your Bibles. A happy heart makes the face cheerful, but heartache crushes the spirit. From Proverbs 17:22, a cheerful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the the bones. The interesting thing here is you look at all these um, proverbs on emotions and you see some emotions have a positive effect, some emotions have a negative effect. What you don't see is a pattern that it's only sinful emotions that have a negative effect. You don't see that here. Um, more, the, the ones that are most commonly addressed are heartache and a crushed spirit. There's never anything in the Proverbs that says heartache or a crushed spirit is a sinful emotion and something that shouldn't be experienced. These are normal reactions to life in a fallen world. And this is a fallen world. Jesus said it best in John 16:33. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. Take courage. I have overcome the world. So we know that in this world we're going to experience heartache and we're going to experience grief and loss and things that cause us to feel like our spirit is crushed. Um, my favorite quote um, on this topic is from Elizabeth Elliot in her book, A Path Through Suffering. She says, in a wrong-filled world, we will suffer many a wrong. So we don't need to live with this false idea that having a crushed spirit, feeling the weight of grief and heartache is sinful or wrong. It simply isn't. Um, we know that all these different emotions have varying effects on us, both physically and spiritually and mentally. Some do have a negative impact on us. Not all of those are considered sinful, but there are a few. There are just a few emotions that the Proverbs strictly addresses and shows us they are considered sinful, and they, are, they do fall into these clearly defined categories of right and wrong. They are repeatedly identified as sinful, and we are directed to control 
handle these emotions. So when scripture tells us there are a few emotions that you are expected to control, we have to acknowledge um, our, our emotions aren't these things that just happen that we have no control over. God says some of them, you need to control them. So there is a place for strict sensibility, for learning to um, discern these sinful emotions and address them and confess them. From Proverbs 10:12, hatred stirs up dissension, but love covers all wrongs. From Proverbs 23:17, do not let your heart envy sinners, but always be zealous for the fear of the Lord. From Proverbs 24, beginning in verse 17, Do not gloat when your enemy falls. When he stumbles, do not let your heart rejoice, or the Lord will see and disapprove and turn his wrath away from him. Do not fret because of evil men or be envious of the wicked, for the evil man has no future hope and the lamp of the wicked will be... And the lamp of the wicked will be snuffed out. I think it's really important when you see the words do not, that only means one thing. It means do not. It doesn't mean you might consider. It doesn't mean put this among your list of choices. Um, there are a few emotions that God in Proverbs tells us these are sinful. I expect you to practice sensibility here. I expect you to control yourself in this way. So at this point, we see all these observations on emotions, and I was really wondering, why do we have them anyway? Why do the Proverbs talk so much about emotions and not give us clearly defined boundaries and clearly defined um, expectations and descriptions of how we should respond to them? As I struggled with that a little bit, I thought the obvious thing is we have emotions because God has emotions. We are created in the image of God from Genesis 1.26, God says, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And we see all through scriptures, he's a God who experiences emotions. He's a God who expresses emotions. And if you're not sold on that, think with me. Even in the creation story, we see these examples where he continues to look at his creation and say, it is good. That's God experiencing pleasure. In the earliest stories of the Old Testament, we see him um, becoming angry with his children when they worship idols and turn away from him and do the wrong thing. When they're wandering in the wilderness and they build the golden calf and he's ready to destroy them all, we see him demonstrate compassion because he gives them a second choice. We see God expressing love all the time. Scripture tells us it's because of his, he loved us while we were yet sinners. It's because of his love that he sends his perfect son into to a sinful, imperfect world. And most importantly, God describes himself as a God who feels and has emotions. In Exodus 34, Moses asks to have an experience where he can be face-to-face with God, and God enters his presence, and this is how God describes himself. The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth. So God feels and expresses emotions. What about Jesus? He feels and expresses emotions too, doesn't he? Before he ever walks on the earth as a man, he's described by the prophet Isaiah as a man of sorrows. That's how Jesus was described. Um, In John, when Jesus goes to the, the burial site of his friend Lazarus and he observes Mary and Martha and the others 
weeping and grieving, Jesus weeps in compassion. When he looks out over the city of Israel and realizes they have missed him, they have not recognized their Savior, he weeps and he prays for Israel. And how many times do we see him interacting with the Pharisees and expressing anger and indignation because they've twisted and distorted God's truth? I loved one example in Luke 15. He's speaking in parable. He's telling a story about a lost sheep. But at the end, he says, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. Look at that range of emotions that we see both God and Jesus experiencing. And it's the whole range. It's the pleasant emotions, joy, rejoicing, and it's the unpleasant emotions, anger and grief. We see God and Jesus experiencing all of those things, and Scripture tells us we are made in the image of God. So we should expect to experience that whole range of emotions also. There's no need for us to repress or deny the difficult emotions or the unpleasant emotions. God didn't and Jesus didn't. But we are asked to apply wisdom to our response to those emotions. And that's where we have an opportunity to live so differently than people who don't have a faith and a hope and a trust in God. So many of the Proverbs address behaviors, and we've talked a lot about these. Um, These clearly defined categories, they tell us um, how to speak, how to use money, how to handle our sexual behavior, and those are all behaviors. And the thing about behaviors is they're visible. We can see our own behaviors, and we can see other people's behaviors. But emotions are a little tricky. Emotions are not always visible. Now, we all know people who wear their hearts on their sleeves, and you do see every emotion they're experiencing. But most of us, over the course of our lives, for whatever reason, we learn to hide and conceal many of our emotions. Sometimes it's just out of protection and preservation. Sometimes it's out of guilt. Um, So emotions truly reflect the inner attitude of our hearts. Um, That's why God has so much to say about how we handle our emotions. And the risky thing is our hearts can be deceitful. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? That means that our self-love can be so powerful that we can deceive ourselves about emotions that truly are sinful. Um, We can deceive ourselves and overlook sin in our heart that God is asking us to address. But the beautiful thing about emotions is they always reveal our heart. They truly do. Proverbs 27, 19, as water reflects a face, so a man's heart reflects the man. What comes out of our heart truly shows who we are, the words, the behavior, the emotions, the attitude. And God cares more about your heart than anything else because he is a God who wants to transform your heart. He's never been about controlling your behavior. It's always been about changing your heart so that it looks more like his. When I was in college, I had my very first experience with my peers um, using alcohol. And I'll be honest, I was a little afraid of it. I had grown up in a culture that that didn't have alcohol um, around. I was also very afraid of breaking the law because I was a good girl. Um, So I made a decision. I was just going to watch and learn from their experience. I wasn't going to partake with them. I quickly learned something very significant. Um, Too much alcohol causes everyone to lose their filter. 
That was just universally true. Um, sometimes they lost the filter that said, temper your affection and love. Or the other extreme, they lost the um, filter that said, don't say all the ugly, nasty things you're thinking. So my friends who would use too much alcohol were either hugging all over me, telling me how much they loved me, how I was the best friend in the world, they respected me so much, thank you for driving me safely home, you're the best friend ever. <laughs> or there were the others... Um, who after too much alcohol would become offensive and rude and obnoxious and say things that they would have never said if they were sober, and they said things that were hurtful that they could never take back. Well, I watched this and I learned. I am not proud of my motives at all, but I made a, a determination at that point. If too much alcohol makes you lose your filter, I will never, ever, ever be drunk with alcohol. I would love to tell you that I made that decision because that was a decision that honored God or because that was a decision that was wise and respected the law. That's not what motivated me. What motivated me was a fear of losing my filter because I knew there was ugliness in my heart. I knew it was there, and I'd learned to cover it up and hide it. And the idea of getting drunk and letting all that ugliness come out for other people to see absolutely terrified me. I'd learned how to behave like a good Christian girl. I'd learned how to dress like a good Christian girl. I'd learned how to manage responsibility like a good Christian girl. And there were lots of things about my life that were in line with good Christian girl. But I also had a deeply critical spirit. And I knew that my natural reaction was so often to be critical and unkind and ungracious. And I learned to cover it up and keep it in my heart. And I knew that if I took a risk with alcohol, some of that stuff might come out and people might see it. But the truth was, it wasn't hidden from me and it wasn't hidden from God. I think it's really interesting, the same way alcohol takes away our filter and exposes what's in our heart, emotions are the same thing. Emotions immediately expose what is in our hearts. And we might learn to hide those emotions and keep them hidden from other people, but, um, but they're there and God sees them. And if there's ugliness in our heart, it's going to come out in our emotions. There was another translation of Proverbs 27:19 that I loved. It says, um, as a face is reflected in water, so the heart reflects the real person. And that's true, isn't it? So I thought, look at all these observations on emotions. They are complex. They can be conflicting. They're always happening. We have few clearly defined categories of right and wrong. We can hide them. We can cover them up. And if that's not enough, our hearts can completely deceive us about them and where they're coming from. That's what the Proverbs tells us. I thought, that is a recipe for disaster, isn't it? These things that can guide and control us, and they're so hard to understand where they're coming from. I thought, we need something to tip us off when our heart is out of alignment. We need something that flashes like the warning light on the dashboard of your car. Maybe the car is driving just fine, but that warning light says something is wrong in the engine. We need something that flashes just like that that says something is wrong in your heart. That's what emotions are. They're that little red warning light. I believe God gave us emotions because they are tools of discernment. God wants us constantly discerning and evaluating our heart. To discern means to discover with your mind, to discover with your senses. 
Our emotions give us an opportunity to discover and to discern the condition of our heart. And Proverbs says we need to use discernment with our own emotions, and we need to use discernment with the emotions of the people around us too. Because every emotion felt, every emotion expressed, is an opportunity to examine our hearts. And we do this because our hearts are the most important thing to God. Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your heart. It is the wellspring of life. The wellspring of life means it's the source from which everything else flows. Your choices, your words, your emotions, your behaviors, your actions, all of that first comes from your heart. And emotions are the easiest way for us to understand what's going on in our heart. Think about it. Let's say your neighbor meets you in the driveway and excitedly tells you about the newer, bigger, better house she's just purchased around the corner in the bigger, better, more exclusive neighborhood. Hmm, what's the immediate emotion in your heart? Maybe your face smiles and your words congratulate her, but maybe in your heart you're thinking, well, that's not fair. She's acting like this neighborhood's no good. Why does she get a house that's better than mine? Well, maybe I wish I had a bigger, better house. Maybe I wish I lived in that bigger, better neighborhood. Does that ever happen to you? What about maybe in a work setting? The woman you work with gets a promotion. And maybe you suppress what you're feeling and you congratulate her and you tell her, well done, but in your heart you're thinking, that's not fair. I work harder than she does. I deserve the promotion she's getting. Doesn't that show us what's in our heart? Even when we master our behavior and even when we give the response that looks like the good Christian response, don't those emotions show us what's really here? Envy, jealousy, hatred, judgment, it's all there. I know it's hidden in my heart. I suspect it might be hidden in yours too. When I experience those emotions, it's like the warning light. It's God saying, Amy, there is something stinking in your heart. Let me come in there and let me help you clean it up. It's an opportunity for us to be wise, to discern what's really in our heart, from what source is it coming, so that we can address it and not be led further into sin. I believe this is why God gives us emotions. He gives them to us because he has emotions and we're made in his image. And he gives them to us because they reveal what is in our hearts and he cares deeply about the condition of our heart. So if we're women of faith, if we are women who choose to identify ourselves as Christians, then we need to learn to use discernment with our emotions and we need to learn to demonstrate wise emotional control. Again, not the white knuckle, I'm not going to feel the bad ones, I'm only going to feel the good ones, but emotional control. So what does that look like? I've given you just a few examples here. Here's some great ways to practice emotional control that we read about in Proverbs. The first is pretty obvious. Let's call sin, sin. Let's recognize Proverbs tells us some emotions are sinful. I know they're reactions, and maybe we couldn't stop them from happening, but God tells us they're sinful, and we need to respond to them that way. Let's let the Bible define what sin is. Hatred, envy, jealousy, rejoicing in the misfortune of others. Proverbs is very clear. This is sinful. Use self-control and don't don't experience these emotions. The important thing, I think, sin loses its power when we pull it out into the light of the day, when we identify it as sin and confess it and repent. So we do have the ability to hide it and cover it up, 
But when we pull it out and say, God, I know it's envy. I know it's there, and I know it stinks. I want you to help me clean it up. He will. Proverbs 28:13. He who conceals his sin does not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. So we identify sin as sin, we confess it, and we repent. The next thing we can do, and we are directed in Proverbs, is to control our behavior. To control our behavior. Not all emotions are sinful, but some acceptable emotions can lead us into sin, can't they? Ephesians 4:26. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. You know, just this week, one of my boys um, had his car vandalized, broken into, things were stolen, things that he'd worked all summer to earn and put in this car. And when I went down to wait with him for the police, he was angry. He was very angry, and it was a justifiable anger. It was a righteous anger. But as his anger grew and boiled, it started coming out in his body. And at one point, he took his car keys, and he just slammed them down onto the pavement. And you never know if it's the right or the wrong moment to speak God's words of truth. (laughs) But I heard coming out of my mouth, in your anger, do not sin. Well, the keys hit the ground, the little remote keyless entry shattered and broke open. This week, we've you know, been to the repair, repair place, we've fixed the damage, we've put new windows in, we're replacing the things that were stolen. And he came to me and he showed me that little keyless remote, and it's damaged beyond repair. And I just said, I'm not going to replace that. It's too good an object lesson, isn't it? It's too good a reminder. And how many times have we done the same thing? We've broken a dish. We've slammed a door. I've seen adults put their fist through walls. We're ugly to the dog. We're ugly to the kids. Our emotions can lead us to sinful behavior, but God says in your anger, do not sin. Proverbs 29:11. a fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise man keeps himself under control. I love that it never says, don't be angry. It doesn't say don't be angry. It says, don't let your anger get out of control. Proverbs 16:32. better a patient man than a warrior, a man who controls his temper than one who takes a city. And Proverbs 23, it's to a man's honor to avoid strife, but every fool is quick to quarrel. As I read these verses, I thought that's very clear. Not every emotion should be expressed. Not every emotion should take me to a step of behavior. We need to keep our behavior under control. The last thing we can see in here when we look at how to use discernment and um, control ourselves emotionally, we need to hold every emotion captive to the truth. Now, emotions are real. Please don't misunderstand me. Emotions are real, but they are not always true, are they? Sometimes they are overwhelming, but not true. God tells us repeatedly, guard your heart. Above all else, guard your heart. I believe the best way to guard our heart is with the truth of God. Um, This is what protects us. It's God's word and God's truth. In Ephesians 6, we're told, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. 
We're told it's this offensive weapon that we can use to defeat and counter the lies that are in the world. So we have to hold our emotions captive to the truth. So I'm going to give you some real practical examples of how we do that. Um, Let's say somebody in profound grief, um, in loss, the overwhelming emotion is, I'm forsaken, I'm abandoned. If my pain is so great, how could God love me? God has forsaken, he's abandoned me, and he's withdrawn his love because I'm hurting so much. Those are real emotions. They are normal reactions to grief and heartache and pain. But are they true? Let's take that emotion, I'm abandoned, I'm forsaken, I'm unloved, and let's compare it to the truth of Scripture. In Hebrews 12, God says, I will never leave you or forsake you. In Matthew 28, Jesus tells his disciples, Surely I am with you always, even to the ends of the earth. And then the beautiful chapter in Romans 8 that assures us nothing can separate you from the love of God. So we've got these feelings, I'm abandoned, I'm forsaken, I'm unloved. And we've got the truth of scripture that totally diffuses those powerful emotions. Another one that's very common, and I hear it all the time, is people struggle with profound grief. I mean, excuse me, profound guilt. And just a confidence that they can never be forgiven. Um, Oftentimes people who've come to Christ later in their life are so consumed with guilt about their life before Christ. And they'll say, I'm guilty. I'm condemned. God can never forgive me. Those are real feelings. They're real emotions. But what happens when you compare them to the truth of Scripture? What happens when you hold that up to the truth of 1 John 1.9 that says if we confess our sins, he is faithful. He is just. He will forgive our sins. He will purify us from unrighteousness. You can see those real and powerful emotions can be totally diffused by God's powerful truth. So ladies, this is the art of discernment. This is the art of guarding your heart. Take those emotions and determine, are they truthful? Are they right? I love that in our praise time this morning, we read Hebrew, she quoted Hebrews 4. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and, what does it say there? It judges the attitudes of the heart, this place from which all of our emotion comes. This is what we do to judge and discern the truth of those emotions. So we have some great tools there out of Proverbs that show us how to use discernment, how to use emotional control when we're thinking about our own emotions. But it also tells us that we need to be discerning when we deal with the emotions of people around us. That was surprising to me. Look at Proverbs 22 and verse 24. Do not make friends with a hot-tempered man. Do not associate with one easily angered, or you may learn his ways and get yourself ensnared. Wow, as I was reading this, there were a lot of verses about the hot-tempered man, the man whose anger runs out of control, the man who is constantly stirring up conflict. And unfortunately, pictures were popping into my mind of people I know who live like this, who do struggle with this tendency to stir up conflict and drama. We all know people like this, and if I have to admit it, every now and then I'm the person like that. That's the honest truth. Um, But when we see this directive, we clearly see God expects us to evaluate the conduct of people around us. And he expects us to do that because it's part of guarding our heart. He knows that we can be influenced by those people. And so he gives us a very clear directive. Don't befriend that man. Do not bring them into your inner circle or you will be influenced. Now, of course, there's profound warnings here. The first is there's no directive to judge that person's heart 
or their motives. You can't do that. Only God can. But we are told, judge and evaluate their behavior. The other caution there is there's no directive to stop loving that person and to withhold kindness and grace and love and mercy. But you're not to bring them into your inner circle because you could be influenced by them. If you think about the people who constantly grumble, complain, take offense, revisit the offense, do you think hanging out with them makes you more patient and gracious and kind and loving? You know, remember Proverbs are talking about the way things generally go. The way things generally go, we're going to become easily offended. We're going to become impatient and grumbling and complaining and stirring up dissension if that's what we're surrounded by all the time. So God directs us, use discernment with the emotional control of other people. When you think about the idea of stirring up dissension and revisiting wrongs and keeping conflict going, you can't help but think of the opposite quality from 1 Corinthians 13. Love is not easily anchored. Love keeps no record of wrongs. We read in Proverbs that what stirs up all this dissension, it's hatred. And hatred is the opposite of love. There's no room for hatred in a heart that God has claimed as his own. There's no room for hatred in a community of believers who are professing to be following Christ. So that's an area where we are directed to use discernment and you know, to really watch the emotional control of people around us. There's another area where we're instructed to use discernment, and that's we're instructed to be careful with the hurting people around us. Be careful with the people whose emotions are painful right now. We see all this information about emotions are reactions. We have the ability to affect the emotions of other people. God expects us to be careful with those other people to be compassionate and to be kind. Proverbs 25.20. This was the most visually uh, compelling thing I read in this whole study of Proverbs. Like one who takes away a garment on a cold day or like vinegar poured on soda is one who sings songs to a heavy heart. That's a vivid picture. Have you ever done that little science experiment with your kid when you pour vinegar on soda? Um, It bubbles. It can explode. Um, That's what it's like to sing songs to a heavy heart. The wrong response to someone in pain is the same thing as taking away their coat when it's cold outside. So compassion and mercy and kindness and grace... God expects that to be present when we encounter a hurting person. But what if I think their pain's not really legitimate? But what if they're always in pain and I'm tired of their pain? We don't get any exceptions here. No singing songs to those with a heavy heart. And I often think, so often, I don't know what to say. And to be honest, none of my words can take away their pain or change their circumstance. That's true. But I can pray for God to give me a merciful, kind response. I can be careful what I say so that I'm not saying something unkind. And if you can't come up with anything else, I teach my boys this all the time, just say, I'm so sorry you're hurting. I'm so sorry you're hurting. I'm acknowledging your humanity and your pain here. God expects us to deal gently and kindly and cheerfully with those who are in pain. We see this again in Proverbs 13, excuse me, 15:30. A cheerful look brings joy to the heart, and good news gives health to the bones. Our emotions are reactions to things we experience, and something as simple as a cheerful look can bring joy and cheer to someone. We have to acknowledge the way we treat others affects their emotions. I thought about that little expression, you see, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. I mean, how many times have you been in a bad mood and your kids came home 
pleasant and your bad mood spoiled your day. <laughs> um, you know, we have to consider that our emotions affect other people. God asks us to be discerning with our own emotions. He asks us to be discerning with the emotions of others. He asks us to speak words of kindness when people are hurting. He asks us to be a source of good cheer and not additional pain. And he asks us steer clear of the people who stir up conflict and dissension. He gives us very clear directives to pay attention to the emotional control of the people around us. Now, I have to tell you, I struggled a little bit with this study. I struggled when I first started it because I really wanted to find a list of good and bad emotions. And I wanted to find a list of do these things with this emotion and do these things with this emotion. And I think I wanted the list because I wanted to be able to check it all off in the box and say, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. <laughs> and I got really, really frustrated because I couldn't find the list. I just kept finding this theme of constantly discern, constantly evaluate, constantly guard your hearts. And I realized in my frustration, I was kind of wanting the Old Testament version of godly living. I was wanting a set of laws, thinking that might somehow be easier. But I realized if God had given me a set of laws, with my ugly, polluted, stinking heart, I never could have satisfied all his laws. And they couldn't satisfy his laws in the Old Testament either. And God offers us something so much better than a list. He offers to put his spirit in us. He offers to make his home in our heart. That's so much better than following a list. He's offering to give us a spirit so that we can discern and so we can evaluate and we can rely on that spirit and that truth to direct us. It reminded me of the prophet Ezekiel in Ezekiel 36:26. The people are struggling with their inability to follow the letter of the law. And God says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. That's an amazing offer. A heart that looks like God, a heart that handles emotions wisely, is not the result of human effort. It's not the result of following a list. It's not the result of practicing religion. It's the result of the presence of the Holy Spirit in the heart of a believer. And God tells us this amazing thing. When he puts his spirit in our hearts, it gives us a greater capacity to do the right thing, to discern, to use wisdom. That's why it's so important that we guard our hearts. Constantly discerning and identifying sin, constantly holding things up and comparing them to the truth of Scripture, constantly relying on God's power within us to respond with wisdom, even in our emotions. It's never been following a list. It's something better. It's partnering with God. It's combining our effort and his power. It's like this magical synergy. And the outcome is a transformed heart that looks more like Jesus. So if wisdom is all about making the right choices with the information you have, it occurred to me when we deal with our emotions, we really have three choices. We can let our emotions run amok and totally rule and guide and govern us, or we can do that white-knuckle approach where we just repress and suppress and rigidly control everything, or we can do this beautiful cooperative process with God where we respond to the spirit that he's put in us where he's made his home in our hearts, where we let him transform our stinky hearts and let him turn it into a heart that looks more like his. Those are our choices. It's sense, it's sensibility, and it's God's wisdom. It seems like an easy choice to me. 
Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. It's true and it's enduring and it's full of wisdom and it's all that we need. Thank you for putting your spirit in our hearts. Thank you for pursuing us with love and knowing us and caring that we become like you. What a mighty thing you're offering us and what a powerful message it is to the world. Thank you for caring enough about our hearts and our emotions that you give us the tools and the directives to be discerning and evaluating so that they can look more like you. My prayer is that we would choose wisdom, that we would choose to slow down and evaluate everything that's coming out of our heart, and that we would trust you to transform it and conform it to something that brings you glory and honor and praise. Keep working in our hearts, Lord, and keep our spirits sensitive to know that it's you at work and that it's a privilege and a glory to partner with you in this way. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.